understanding may be enlightened. Father, that we might know what is the hope of your call, what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. Father God, we pray that you would just uh, help each and every person here, Father, for our hearts to be good ground that receives uh, the word, Lord, and brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Lord, we thank you that you confirm your word in our life with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Just feel like the Holy Spirit said to tell someone here, don't give up and don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary. Amen. You're doing what's right. Don't let the devil push you off of what you've been doing. Amen. Somebody needs to get that and take it. Amen. Praise God. Well, this evening we want to continue a teaching that we've been doing on the uh, threefold nature of man, or as the slide says, a three-part being. And just to give you a little review, you know, last week uh, Pastor Earl ministered and we had the youth over here, and it's a great service, but we want to kind of pull you back in, uh, refresh your mind some on some of the stuff we've been talking about, bring some things back to your uh, remembrance. And, and I encourage you, get these notes, go back over them. Man, turn the TV off. Leave, you know what, Pastor Shine and I, we've, we've been down in St. Augustine now, I guess, eight weeks, and we don't have TV, and I ain't missing it none. Matter of fact, I'm thinking, dear Lord, how did I ever have time to watch TV? I find myself so busy, I'm thinking, man, when did I even have time to watch TV? But uh, study these things. Give yourself to it because this thing, if, if, going, if you went to high school and you studied, if you went to college or technical college or any type of training and you applied yourself to it, this is the most important truth. The Bible, the truths of God's Word are the most important truths that you can get a hold of. Amen? But if we, we're talking about how, uh, you know, if we looked back that you, there are, uh, you are a three-part being, Let's just go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and refresh ourselves on this, uh, on this key text. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse uh, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, and we said that word sanctify means to be set aside for a specific purpose. Right? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And we uh, looked back at uh, Genesis, the first chapter, Genesis 2, 7. We looked at the original intent. We talked about how we looked back at the beginning. God said, let us create man in our likeness and our image. Now, you understand, he was, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the Word. He was speaking to Jesus. He was speaking to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, let us create man in our image. And so we understand that there's, you know, we talk about the concept, and we've said this before, the word Trinity does not appear any place in the Bible. You know, the word rapture doesn't appear any place in the Bible. Those are theological words that are used to encapsulate ideas that are in Scripture. You know, don't let anybody uh, get all anal with you, all nitpicky and uptight about, oh, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yeah. I know. They say, well, ain't no rapture then. Well, no, just because that word's not, if that word is a theological term that we understand, it means the catching away of the saints, right? Well, the word Trinity does not appear any place in the Bible, but it encapsulates the idea of one God comprised of three people, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible does say over in John's Gospel, it says these three are one. And what that means is they're united in purpose. They work in harmony. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I have been taught that the word Elohim is what they call a uniplural noun, which it is a word that means, it is a plural, we understand plural means more than one, right? Singular means one. I'm not an English expert, praise God, you can tell that, right? 
my pastor said, I am proof of all my papers in college. Um, and I blew her mind one time when I said, ain't not. She said, that is so not a word. I said, yeah, it is. It yeah, ain't not. Right? But uh, you understand that the uniplural means, plural means more than one, but uni means one. So what's that mean? Well, the concept's not too foreign when we talk about, if I talk about uh, the Matthews family, family is what we would understand as a uniplural noun. Family, I'm talking about one family. I'm talking about Jimmy Matthews' family. But we understand there's four people in his family, right? Just like the word team. A team can have several people on it, but when you're talking about the team as a whole, you're talking about one team, right? And so God said, Elohim uh, said, let us make man in our image. And we see that there is a three-part, uh, you know, it's a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that man, uh, what the, he has, that your uh, spirit is that part of you that is eternal, that God breathed into you. And we've said this, that people, before they become born again, everybody has a spirit, it's just dead. It's not like when someone's dead, they don't have one. It's there, it's just dead. Because the Bible says in Ephesians that some of, it, some of you, that, that all of us, before we made Jesus Christ Lord and was born again, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Well, you were walking around, right? You were breathing, you were going through the motions of life, but, we said, but you were spiritually, you were dead, right? And so um, you, had that, you have a spirit, your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, and you have a body. And you can't say that anyone, and, and the one thing that I have got personally from studying this, uh, for this series is that I have before kind of fell into the idea of not esteeming highly the significance of the body, but you need to understand this. You've got to have all three of them. You've got to have all three of them functioning because when your body checks out, you lose your license to operate on earth. Your spirit, the real you is your spirit, of course. But when your body checks out, then you lost your license to operate on the earth. Or when there's sickness and disease, and this is why this puts healing in a whole different perspective. When there's sickness and disease that debilitates your body and keeps your spirit man from being able to do what it's supposed to do, Amen. Well, then we need to get some healing, right? We need to get some healing up in our body. So, But you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And we talked about the, the first evening uh, about how uh, the spirit, it, the, the word of God is what divides it. Uh, divides it. Hebrews says that that's the only thing that can separate the soul and the spirit is the word of God. And so your spirit needs to be made alive. We said this, and we're going to get on into the teaching this evening. And you need to realize that when, you are, when a person is born again, okay, uh, we use the term born again when your spirit is made alive. Because really that's what it means, born again. Right? Your spirit's made alive unto God. Your spirit is always going to want to do what's pleasing to the Father. If a person is really born again, amen, their, your, their, the desire of their spirit is going to be always to be to please the Father. If you show me something, you because know, the book of John makes it real clear. I, I was sharing with Brother Kirk, I was reading this uh, last night. The book of John says, you know, those who are righteous do righteously. Yeah, the righteous man behaves righteous. If you're born again and you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that doesn't mean it's incapable. you're incapable of sinning, slipping in sin. But you don't make a lifestyle of it. If someone tells you, oh, I'm born again, but they make a perpetual lifestyle. It says, he, he who practices sin is of the devil. I don't care if you got your name on every church book between here and St. John's County, Florida. If you live a perpetual lifestyle of sin, if you practice sin, the Bible says you are of the devil. 
That's the word. Don't get upset at me. Say, oh, no, Pastor, but they confess Jesus is Lord. Well, you know what? Giving lip service is, is cheap. Because the prophet Isaiah said, Jesus quoted Isaiah saying, Well did the, did the scripture say that people draw near me with their mouth, but their heart is far from it. Because it's real easy to just say, Oh, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. You know, I prophesied this in October last year. Some of you may have been at the house. Remember, we were at a house, we were having a home meeting. And I, and, I, and I referenced that scripture, and the Lord gave me prophecy. It said, There are people who will stand in the church and will raise their hands and say, I love you, Lord, but they don't know what it means to love, and they don't know what it means for me to be their Lord. That was in October. Wow. Okay? Um, so you understand this is that, that you have to, you have to, uh, there needs to be a change. And so that your, your spirit, when it's born again, your spirit wants to do what pleases the, the, your father. You want to. And like I said, and, 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 and I just really can't, you know, if someone is living, is living perpetually in sin, you can't tell me that. I think it's possible for someone to be a believer and live that way, but I think they'll be the most miserable person on the face of the planet. I have never met a happy backslider. Amen? Because their spirit, their own heart condemns them. Amen? So you understand, so you're, the born-again born spirit always wants to please the Father. Your little earth suit is always going to want to do what feels good to it. Right? It's always going to want to sleep too much, always going to want to eat too much, always going to want to, if we could talk about some other things, if we ain't going to say because there's kids in the room. Right? That if you leave, if you leave the desires of your skin suit unchecked, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. People, you can, you can contract diseases that will kill you because this stuff right here, all it wants is what makes it feel good. That's why every once in a while y'all just do a fast every once in a while just say, bless God, I'm going to show you who the boss is. I'm going to show you my spirit man runs this show, and I know you want that. And I, I've said this before, Pastor Cheyenne's the best I've ever seen. You know, Brother Hagen, they said Brother Hagen, uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, some of you may know him, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, said you never saw him doing a whole lot of fasting per se as, uh, as calling fast because he lived a fasted lifestyle. Um, I remember Brother Hagen said when he was just a young man, he drank Coca-Colas and, and, he, and he really, really liked Coca-Cola. How many of you remember back in the day, you know, when Coke was in little six-ounce glass bottles? And now you can go buy big slams, one liter, man, drink 700, 800 calories in one bottle, right? But Brother Hagen, this is back when they just come in little six-ounce bottles, six or eight-ounce glass bottles. And he said he was drinking it, and he said, and the Holy Spirit had just got to deal with him, but, you know, you, you like those too much. And he said, and this was when he was in his teens, and Brother Hagen died when he was 83 or 85 years old, 83, I believe. He said, that's it, Lord. He said, the longest day I live, I'll never drink another Coca-Cola the longest day I live. And, it, and he did stuff like that just to keep his flesh on. Pastor Cheyenne's the same way. Even if she, when she rarely lets herself eat dessert, she can be eating it. And if she eats one or two bites and there's still some on the plate, if she gets a little check in her spirit, she'll go, that's it, I'm done. She'll put the fork right down, right in mid-bite. Put it down, won't touch it. Why? Because she's, she's got it down that her spirit's going to let her flesh know, I run this show, you don't. Right? And so your flesh is always going to want to do what feels good to it. So the deciding factor is your mind. Remember, two th we talked talk about this, two-thirds majority rules, right? It's that way in politics, two-thirds majority is going to rule. And your body, if you've got these three parts of, of your being, your spirit, your soul, your body, 
and the Spirit's wanting to do what pleases the Father. The body and the flesh always wants to do what feels good to it and makes it comfortable, pleases it. The deciding vote's going to be cast by your mind. And so if we started looking at the mind, and uh, if we went through some stuff, uh, if we talked about, um, if we talked, if we ended up uh, going through um, the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, and we, set, and we, and we ended up with this, is that... Um, that that um, you have to um, you have to put on the spiritual armor. Now, whose responsibility is it to uh, guard your heart? We gave you a, a scripture out of Proverbs chapter four that said, "Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life." And I said this: Whose responsibility is it to to guard your heart? That word "guard," remember, it says it says it means to keep. It means to have like an armed guard. It's almost like a military term uh, if someone's charged with the keep of somebody. With the keep of something, you have the you have the keep of it. Who, well, whose responsibility is it to guard your heart? Is it God's responsibility? Is it you know you understand this that when a child is little like James's size, it's it's mommy and daddy's responsibility because you're training him up in the way they should go. By the time they're Brittany's age, whose responsibility is it to guard the heart? Mommy and daddy can't do it for Brittany anymore because Brittany is an adult and she ha- and she has to make that choice. So guarding your heart and what that means is. You have to guard, and we'll talk about this more. You have to set up defenses about what you will or will not allow to have entrance into you. And you understand, I don't get into this a whole lot. I think sometimes people try to over, they try to over spiritualize, and it's not the right, it's not the right word I want to look at for over spiritualize. They try to over mystify, okay, stuff. That's not like, oh, your ear gate, your eye gate, your whatever gate, okay? You understand this? What they're saying is, how do things come into you? They come in through your ears. They come in through your eyes. And so it's your responsibility. God is not, if, if you're on the computer clicking around uh, and, and there's a, a link, you know, a little thing pops up and there's a link to a pornographic website, God's not going to go, stop! Don't do that! God's not going to reach down and hit the power button on your computer. It's your it's your responsibility, and let's not go and this thing. Let's not go that hardcore, okay? Let's not go that obvious. Here it is. You're on the computer. I I do Facebook. I don't do it a whole lot anymore, right? But I'm available on it. I have a Facebook account. Um. Okay, here it is. This is so funny. I'll show this because I am the biggest. If someone, if I even suspect that a woman gets flirty with me, man, I'm making a beeline for Pastor Shine. I'm like a little scared little boy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, uh, here it is. It's a little more subtle. What if you're on the computer, ch- you're on Facebook, just checking your messages, and whoop, a little chat box pops up. Little mama Cita, or if you're a woman, little daddy Cita, wanting to chat with you. Hey, how you doing, baby? It, it happened to me about three weeks ago. This lady that that um, uh, her last name seemed familiar to uh, to me with someone I went to school with at, at Rhema. I couldn't really remember, didn't know who she was, but she sent a friend request, okay? And I was like, oh, her last name was Torico. She, she was a Hispanic lady. Her last name was Torico. I thought, that sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. I thought, well, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll prove her. So I prove her. So the next day, I'm on the, inter- I'm on, uh, the computer, and it pops up. Hey, baby. I'm like, hey, how you doing? She goes, uh... Some little something else going on. She goes, um, uh, it said, uh, uh, and I'm going to butcher it. Tu habla español? You don't know if I speak Spanish. They're like, no. I think I said pequeño. I speak a lot of Spanish. I know enough just to, uh, 
Let's see, I'm not just enough to get in trouble, right? Um, just enough to make the waiter think you speak Spanish, and then he wants to carry on a conversation with you, right? So uh, she, sa- uh, she said, uh, she said, that's all right, baby. You can read it. And I'm like, okay, this ain't going no place I want to. She goes, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, boom, just a bottom fell out of the conversation. And so I immediately went and deleted her out of my friends list and called Pastor Cheyenne and said, uh, there's a chick uh, talking with me on Facebook. And I said, what do you know? Okay, now that seems funny. But what I'm saying is, is what if I entertained that little conversation? Oh, hey, baby. Hey, baby, right back to you, you know? Senoritas, you know, little, right? And I entertain that. And next thing you know, you know, maybe I'm having two, three-hour little chat conversations with her. Oh, but that's just harmless, Pastor. You just, oh, really? Because I know a couple right now in West, from West Virginia that I, that I went to church with at New Life Church three and a half years ago that I told the husband flat out, you're a moron and you need to quit chatting with women online. Well, my wife just don't know me. Take the two hours a night that you're chatting to your little skanks online and talk to your wife. And maybe you'll get to know each other better. Oh, it ain't going to hurt nothing. Guess what? They separated and divorced now. Because he wouldn't check his phone. Now, what's the point? Why am I telling you that? Because whose responsibility was it to say, I ain't going there? It was his. It was his responsibility. And you understand, God didn't say... I'm going to shut this mess down. And don't you know the Holy Spirit? And don't you know that I am a, I am a minister? I am a man of God. And I'm going to tell you what. I didn't just call him a moron the first time I talked to him because that's offensive. I understand a lot of people say, you're a man of God. You call someone a moron. After the third time I'm talking to him, the third time his wife has come to me and I've talked with you all about the same problem, it's time to just not sugarcoat everything and just say, you're a moron. You are a moron. It is causing your wife major league stress because you're getting online and you and really you've given another woman what is hers. You've given another woman what is hers because that verbal intimacy and time you should be talking and and bearing your feelings and communicating your feelings and cultivating a relationship that belongs to your wife. It don't belong to some hoochie mama you're talking to on the computer, right? And I asked him, I said, how would you like it if she's going out and giving some other covenant privilege, wink, wink, that belongs to you to somebody else? Well, I wouldn't like that at all. Then why do you think she's supposed to be good with it? Hello. But you understand this, is that he had, a, that gentleman had a responsibility to guard his heart, and he didn't. And it cost him his marriage. Marriage number two, maybe marriage number three, I don't know. What, to talking to some woman you don't even know on the computer you got to guard your heart. You have to put up defenses in place. I know another gentleman right now, and I love the guy, and I've poured into him for years, but the Lord finally just spoke to me. I got a huge release about three months ago. The Lord says, you don't cast your pearl before swines anymore. He doesn't esteem any of the, of the, of the, of the uh, advice that you're giving him, and just wash your hands with the guy. Quit, quit, waste, quit taking... The, the, the gift and quit taking revelation I've given you and the ministry gift I've given you and quit wasting it on him. Now, does that mean that God doesn't love him? No, but it means God knows his heart and knows that until he makes up his mind that he... How many of y'all have come to the, the, the conclusion that people will not change and God will not make people change until they want to change? Right? Um, and so, but this guy, marriage problems for a decade. 
marriage problems for a decade. And a lot of his problem is the Internet and texting. Hey, baby, take a little picture. Shoot that feeding text. Don't I look hot? Okay. And it's a guy that has a call to ministry on his life. But how many of y'all know the word says, the word says you can disqualify yourself? Now, it says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. It means God's not going, to go, not going to change his mind. And one day, if somebody's just messed around and they've squandered their whole life and squandered the time on the earth that God's give them, given to them and they've never stepped up, God, you're still going to give an account for that ministry. So, oh, Pastor Brian, how can you figure out? Well, let's talk about the gift of the talents. Am I talking about, am I talking about spirit, soul, and body tonight? Amen. I'm just going to go with it. The man with the, the, the story of the gift of the talents. That man, remember, he gave one ten, gave one five, gave the other one. And the guy with the one, he went and he took it and he dug it and he hid his uh, talent in the ground. He, and you understand talent was a unit of money. But it was an asset that the master gave a servant and he intended for him to take that asset and use it to advance his kingdom. Right? Because the, the, the man was going to receive a kingdom. And so when he came back, the man hadn't done nothing with it. He went and dug it and hid it in the ground. So the other two took it and they did the work that the master gave them and assigned to them to do and profited and brought it back and presented what they had, what they had increased to the master. But then the one, he received a talent and he received an assignment, the same assignment the other two did, occupy till I come, which the term literally means do business till I come back. In other words, you had a ministry, you had an assignment to fulfill. All you did is you went and dug a hole in the dirt and stuck it in the ground and didn't do nothing to it, but you're still going to give an account to it through the master. Right? Amen. So getting back to this, hallelujah, that you have to you you have you are the one that's responsible for guarding your mind. And you know you can put stuff in and I've said this. I don't really know how to explain it, but I think that, and, and it bugs me. I hate to even mention something I can't explain. It really does. That's a teacher in me. I can't, I can't stand it. But can we all agree, can we see this, has it been observable in your life, and can we observe it in other people's life, that you can put stuff in your body that can corrupt your mind and can bring spiritual corruption on you? Can you allow something, can you allow certain thoughts to come into your mind to obsess in your mind and obsess on those things until it can contaminate your spirit and, call, and make you vulnerable to receive an unclean spirit. Yes, you can do that. Can you allow stuff into your spirit that will contaminate not only your spirit, but it will just spread on over into your mind and corrupt your mind, and it can even manifest in your body? Yeah. So what I'm saying is there's this ability of these three, even though there are three distinct uh, portions of you, you can get something in one that can corrupt the rest of your body. You can introduce a substance into your body that can corrupt your mind and can cause spiritual corruption because a little, cause a little, cause a little, right? And you can get some spirits on you. You sure can. Uh, you can put stuff in your mind that can pollute your spirit. I'll keep this G. I remember someone telling me one time that uh, when they were young, that they uh, used a lot of a particular visual stimulant for men, right? And and was obsessed with it. 
and said for years, said they would even go to church and stand there and praise and worship, have their eyes closed, their hands raised up, just worshiping God. And, and, those, and out of nowhere, those images pop right back in their mind and just completely distract them during praise and worship. Like, where in the world did that even come from? I haven't looked at that stuff in two, three decades. And here I am trying to worship the Lord, and that pops back in my mind. How many of y'all know there are people, you can, you can look at stuff and allow yourself to see stuff that can contaminate your spirit? Amen? That's why God says it is your responsibility. And that's why God gives us the word to say, I'm setting some parameters. There's some stuff that you just don't need to see. And I'm not, And then you understand this. I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, critical of people because I will say this. Pastor wasn't born born again. Okay? Pastor has seen stuff in his life that I wish I hadn't seen. Okay? I, and, and, and even stuff, even, uh, even violent images. You know, I've seen movies that were gory and violent and just shock movies that I, that I saw stuff I wish I had not seen, right? Um, and this is another thing. You need to be careful of what you listen to. Um, you know, I was in the gym, uh, you know, lift at World's Gym. I maybe need to lift at God's Gym. We maybe need to open the God's Gym down in St. Augustine, right? Instead of lifting in the World's Gym. Amen. We, hell, amen. Pastor Mike probably do something like that. We'd probably get us a God's gym going for too long because he's a beast anyway. Um, but uh, there's a song I hadn't heard for 11 years. I ain't going to tell you what it is. I ain't going to even gonna sing it because y'all don't need to get that. It was in my head for three days. I ain't gonna, you wouldn't know anyway. It's by a group called No Doubt. Yeah, you don't have any idea. Um which would be good if they were singing about faith, right? But they weren't singing about faith, okay? So, but I had this. But there's some things you just don't need to hear. Why? Because you can get stuff uh, in your spirit and allow yourself to meditate on it. That's why God said you've got to guard your heart, amen? You are the one that's got to do it, amen? Man, I have got so bad to get back on track, amen? I just feel like the Holy Spirit, but if we, you understand, it's your responsibility. No one else can do it for you. Time to grow up and be big boys and girls, right? Amen? It's because God expects us to be that way. God wants us. That's one of the desires of the Father. He wants people born again. He wants them filled with the Holy Ghost. And he wants them to grow up spiritually. Right? Because uh, spiritually immature people can't reproduce themselves. They can only go steal other people's sheep. They don't make their own. Right? They don't reproduce. Um, so, but you understand this. The armor of God that we're to put on. We finished last week talking about the armor of God. But the armor of God that we're to put on is Bible knowledge. Amen. We said this. The passage also tells us that if we put on the whole armor of God, that we'll be able to resist in the evil day. It can be concluded also. If we choose not to put on the whole armor of God, defeat is inevitable. Amen. The devil's not smart. He's got lots of on-the-job experience, though. Right? Even, you know, even a dummy can figure some stuff out given enough time, right? And so the devil, don't give him any more credit than what you have to. Uh, he's, he's cunning, but this is the thing. If you fail to put on the whole armor, he's going to observe you long enough to see where weaknesses are and then mm, hit you right there. That's why we've got to put on the whole armor of God, and that is, is, is your biblical knowledge. Amen? You understand you can be defeated in a particular area, um, in subject um, areas of healing, the provision, peace of mind, the authority of believer, or you can be completely shipwrecked in your faith. Amen? So understand this on your worksheet here. Uh, the greatest battlefield in our spiritual war is our mind. Amen. Um, hallelujah. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten. 
Now, this is, this is a passage of Scripture that when people talk about spiritual wars, as a matter of fact, in my Bible it says the spiritual war, the heading over these passages of Scripture, that people think, but this is the thing, can we, can we all just agree, now maybe some of you may have heard some stuff about spiritual warfare, but can we just agree to let the Bible tell us what it's talking about? Not commentaries, not what other people have written books about, but what does the word say is spiritual warfare? Amen. We want to take a look at this, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter ten, and um, I, I just want—I'm going to start with verse one. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that uh, confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now here's where people get, Woo! Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. You know, yeah, we're getting into spiritual warfare. Well, what, let's read this passage of Scripture, and it will tell you what it's talking about. Right? That's just one of the basic things of good biblical interpretation is reading stuff in its context. What do the surrounding scriptures say? What are we talking about? You don't just cherry pick stuff. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that means of the flesh, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into, cap into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is, is full. Now people get here, they go, the weapons of our warfare are not uh, carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. That word stronghold, it, it literally, the word literally means a fortress. But you understand this, if we read the rest of this, it tells us, now it's talking about spiritual warfare, right? Can we all agree it's talking about spiritual warfare? Spiritual uh, warfare, though, it says it's casting down arguments. You understand that's an argument, a debate, um, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is something that's interesting. Remember when we were talking about faith, the mountain relocation project, we did this a few months ago, and we said that word mountain, it literally means something, that, that, that word mountain literally means something that lifted itself up against something, everything that exalts itself, everything that exalts itself. So it says that it's casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ. True spiritual warfare takes place in your mind. Amen? It is, it is when, and, and I want to give you this. You understand that, um, help me Lord get this out, that, that what the Bible talks about that there's a shield of faith. And, and, the, and we understand that faith is beliefs, persuasions, convictions, based on the Word of God, rightly divided, that are adhered to so strongly that it governs what you allow yourself to think, say, and do, right? That's the Brian Adkins expanded version of what faith is. And so, in other words, and so the Bible back in Ephesians, it was talking about the shield of faith. In other words, you have this device of self-defense to defend you from offensive attacks that is a shield that's made up of your beliefs based on the Word of God. And you understand that that can that um, you can add on to that. Uh, the example's been given before. Imagine a large shield made out of like jigsaw puzzle pieces locking together. And you can, the, the more knowledge of the Word of God that you have that you act on, 
it's important to, to, to act on it. Because the Word says you can be not just hearers of the Word, but doers, not just hearers only, because you can deceive yourself. How many of you know I can teach you that you need to guard your mind? I can stand up here and I can teach, man, the Bible, that you need to guard your heart, you need to monitor what you like. But if I don't do it, I can shipwreck my faith. I can stand up here and I can teach it to you out of the Bible. I can quote all the scriptures. I can lay it down right to you. But this is the thing. If I go down the road and I stop someplace to get something, and some little cute thing behind the counter goes, Hey, baby. Wink, wink. Starts making googly eyes at me. And I start thinking, Ooh, she's kind of cute. She's young enough to be my daughter. I know some of you are thinking, My daughter's one year old. I could ha- There's people I graduated high school with that are grandparents now. Pastor Earl's one year older than me, and he's a grandpa. Okay? I'm thinking, ooh, she's pretty. And she, and she thinks I'm all that in a bag of chips. Huh? And I stopped monitoring my thoughts. But guess what, man? I just taught you a real good lesson. But if I'm not doing it, guess what? I don't have the benefits of the defense, right? So you understand this. This shield of faith is your accumulation of knowledge of the Word that you're actually doing because you can know it, but if you're not doing it, man, the devil's going to walk up and go, swing, cut your head off. Right? Going back to that example of being armed, having, having the armor of God. The devil's going to come up and clean your plow because you might know, um, you might know that you're supposed to speak the word only. You might know, okay, I don't say what the circumstances look like. I say what God's Word says about it. I'm not going to say, man, I'm going under. I'm not going to look at my checkbook and go, it's not enough, I'm going under. I'm going to look at my checkbook and I'm going to look at my stack of bills and I'm going to say, no, the Word says my God supplies all of my needs according to His riches and glory and I won't entertain any other thought. Devil, you can throw it at me, but I'm not going to put it up and I'm not going to let it come out of my mouth ever again. I'm going under. I'm not going to say it anymore. But you understand this. You can know that. You can know you need to speak the word over something. You can, you can know I need to say what God's word says about something. You can have knowledge of that. And then when something comes up against you, you go, Oh, my God, I don't know what we're going to do. We ain't going to make it. And guess what? It's, it don't do you any good. So the shield of faith is the, is the, beliefs that you, is the knowledge of God's word that you have that you, that you actually do. Okay, now let's look at this back over here in 2 Corinthians. It's talking about strongholds. Do you know that a stronghold actually is very similar to a, the shield of faith, except it's made from false statements and false ideas? Arguments and, idea, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here it is. Um, you know what? You're just a loser. You ain't never going to be any good. You ain't never been any good. And I'm just going to say it plain. If it's offends some people, just overlook it, okay, because it's a passion of mine. You suck and you've always sucked. You ain't never going to be any good. Right? Amen? Because is, is that just the way the devil talks? Am I just being too real? You know what? And devil's singing it. And you think, yeah, you know what? I ain't never amounted. I ain't never done nothing amounted nothing in my life. Ain't nobody in my family ever done nothing. Devil goes, yeah, your family's drunk three generations back. Yeah, man, I'm just, man, I could just crack a bottle any day now. I just don't know what, I, man, I just, I just can't do it. And guess what? You latch on to that, and you don't 
confess, you don't begin to, you, you lose your identity in that. You need to realize who, who you are, what, what, who God says you are. And that's more real than what your family tree is. Because you got, you got a new family tree, and it was the one Jesus hung on. Right? You want to go back to your family tree? Your family tree was on a hill called Calvary where Jesus uh, shed his blood so that you could become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And your, and your lineage started, your lineage, you can trace it back one generation to Jesus Christ. But you allow yourself to think that. Okay? Um, here it is. Fill in the blank. Problem of your choice. I've always had blank. I've always been blank. I probably will always be blank. When they bury me, I'll be dead blank. I just don't ever see how I'll ever get over blank. Whatever it is. Guess what? As long as you, that's what you're believing, as long as that's what you're speaking, as long as that what is, is what your actions you are doing lines up with, that's a stronghold. And God can have the most wonderful plans for you. God can have the most wonderful call for you on your life. God can have placed man the greatest gift of, of a particular, I mean, one of the greatest ministry gifts in you that the world's ever seen. God got treasure buried down in you. Hidden treasure. Huh? The kingdom of God's like a man that buys a field. Because he found a treasure in the field, right? He went out and he bought the field. Why? Because the principle is you get the field, you get everything that's in it. But like I've told people when I've done marriage counseling before, remember, when you buy a field, you get everything that's in it. If there's a gold mine in that field, you get a gold mine. If there's a septic tank or a toxic waste dump in the field, you get a septic tank or a toxic waste dump. Because you get everything that's in the field, right? But God knows you can, you can have one of the greatest treasures that the world has ever seen that God's put down inside of you, but if you can't get past that stronghold, it'll never come to pass. And, it'll ne- and it will never come to fruition. And, the, and all the wonderful things that God wanted to accomplish in you, through you in the world for the kingdom of God, He won't be able to do it. Oh, God can do anything He wants to. No, God can't make you do what you, can't, what you won't let, let Him do. We've said this before. The Bible talks about in Psalms. It talks about that the children of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. People can limit God. People can limit God. And if we can't get past these strongholds, um, I want to say this on your handout. It says, uh, it says, this passage says that we'll take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It says you will either take thoughts captive or they will take you captive. The thoughts, you understand this. Um, any thought that you need to take captive is a, is a thought that is contrary to what God's Word is. Well, I'm, you know, God, I'm, I'm just old. People in my family have always been sick. I guess we're always going to be sick. People in my family have always been poor. We're always going to be poor. Ain't going to have our needs met. Um, this is the thing you understand is, is that that thought needs to be taken captive. Any thought that's not, that does not line up with God's Word, you need to take it captive. Don't think if you just let it run around free that maybe it'll run off over the horizon someplace and it's not going to bother you. The thoughts that you fail to take captive will hold you captive. Here's one for you. All that church stuff's just a bunch of bull junk. 
all that Jesus stuff is just a bunch of bunk. You understand there's people in the world that are held bondage to that. All that Jesus stuff is just a bunch of garbage. All that, that church stuff, that's just a bunch of a bunk. Then guess what? If people don't take that captive and pull that thought in, guess what? They'll be held captive their life about that. They won't esteem the things of God. They won't esteem the Word of God. And they'll be trapped in a position where even though they may have a godly family and they may be exposed to the Word of God because, they live in that, because they're held captive by that stronghold that they, that they allow themselves to function out of, they'll never, they'll never see any benefit of it. And they'll never reap any benefit. And in fact, they will be taken captive by that thought. Amen? See, you understand this. Um, so what do we, and, I, and I got this example here I want to give you. There, I used to work as a, a CNA. I was a certified nursing assistant for a while. Good God, one of the worst experiences in my life. Worked at a nursing home. Dear Lord. You ever heard that song, just send me to hell or New York City? It'd be about the thing. Just send me to hell or a nursing home. It'd be about the thing. I am not called to nursing home ministry. Glory to God. Thank God for the people who are. But I worked in this nursing home on third floor. There's one in Huntington. Right across from Cabell Huntington Hospital. Lord, that third floor, man, was where they put the people that were just, they checked out, their mind checked out a long time ago, and and their body and their spirit was just hanging around. And there was this one particular uh, lady that, if I understood right, I, I inquired because I was curious about her. My heart went out to her. But uh, her family was wealthy. Her brothers owned uh, a big furn- old furniture store uh, there in Huntington. And she had never married, from what I heard. Uh, but she would sit, you know, they had what they called jerry chairs. She would sit in a jerry chair all day long, and, you know, and you'd go up, and, and I just worked with her a couple times, and I'm just going to tell you the truth. I mean, it's before I got filled with a hole that she creeped me out. I couldn't hardly stand But my heart still broke for her. Because here this, this sweet little old lady, she's sitting in a jerry chair with nothing but a gown on, and she'd sit there all day, and her face would be all red and puffy all day, where she would just, she would cry all through the day. When she wasn't crying, she'd sit there and go, and pull herself together, and she and then she'd just bust out crying and out loud. She'd holler out, "Oh God, forgive me! Oh God, forgive me! Oh God, please forgive me!" And just cry and weep and just cry out, "Oh please God, forgive me!" Do it ten, fifteen. You want to see? You want to get see somebody get on your nerves? Have to stay around that for about 15, when they doing that fifteen, twenty minutes straight. And you can't shut them up. What are you gonna do? Put some duct tape on their mouth? You can't shut them up. Just as like, oh, God, forgive me. And I talked to her one day. I said, excuse me, miss, I said her name. I said, um, what are, you know, I don't know what you're asking God to forgive you for, but the Word says that if, you're, if, you, you know, if you'll confess your sins to God, that He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I said, and if you've confessed that sin to Him, you don't need to be tormented. I mean, it was obvious to me the woman was tormented by the thought of, that she did something that, there, that God wasn't going to forgive her for. And I told her, I, I said, you know, I said, if you're a believer and, you're, and you've ever been born again, I said, the Word says if you confess your sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And she looked at me and just blinked her eyes for a minute, and I thought, God, did she get it? Did she get it? And she just looked at me, she blinked and went, Oh, God, forgive me! And just started again on another 10 or 15 minutes of, of hollering, Oh, God, forgive me. Well, what happened? They, and they said, they said she's been that way for years. She been, she's up in her 80s, I think. She's been in a nursing home since she was in her 70s. She said for over a decade. 
seven days a week, 365 days a year. When she was awake, she was in between bouts of just hollering at all day long. That, how many of y'all know that woman had a stronghold built in her uh, mind that she had believed a lie that you've done something God will never forgive you for. You're going to hell. God will never forgive you for what you've done. And she believed that. Because I'm telling you, faith faith and doubt are a lot more similar than what you realize. Because guess what? She believed, She had a belief that she did something that God would not forgive her for. And that belief controlled what she thought, said, and did. So you understand this, that when we're talking about a stronghold, let's put it this way, is faith a spiritual thing? Oh, you can't find anything more spiritual than faith. Well, so the Bible's talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about spiritual warfare. And you understand this, faith is based on your belief system, right? We're talking about spiritual warfare. Guess what? Strongholds are built on wrong uh, or unscriptural belief systems, and that's why it's spiritual warfare when you're coming against those things. Amen? You understand this? Turn to, uh, real quick, um, let me see. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read you some stuff here um, real quick. Um, we want to look at Isaiah, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 8. This is out of the King James Version. It says, For my thoughts are not, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. How many of you heard that before? I knew I grew up in a denomination where that they would teach this, they'd preach it, say, My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. You know, And they'd say that, and the, and the way it come across was, you're just, you, just you, you ain't got a clue. You ain't seen the ball since kickoff. Right? Spiritually speaking, you ain't seen the ball since the kickoff. That you ain't never gonna be able to you ain't never gonna be able to get it. Because God thinks so much higher than you do, you moron. That's the way they come across with it. Well, how many of y'all know God's does not, our thought that the thoughts of fallen man are not God's thoughts? Right? I mean, that's all through the scripture. I mean, remember the parable that Jesus told about the man that, that he was a creditor and he had someone come before him that owed him a lot of money and he fell at his feet and he begged him to please, you know, please have mercy on me. The, the way of the world is, no, no way, dude. I'm squeezing you for it. You're going to pay what you owe, owe me. And as a matter of fact, that thought system, there's two different ways, systems of thought demonstrating that. Because the king, the, the man that, had, that owed him a lot, he forgave him freely. Well, then that guy goes out and he he sees his uh, fellow servant that owes him a little bit and he takes him by the throat and he says, pay that which you owe me. Right? So the thought system of the world is, I'll take you by the throat and you're going to pay me what you owe me. Where the thought system of, of, of God, the way God thinks was, you know what, I'm going to be merciful. Okay? So, But this scripture says, my thoughts are, are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways. And what we got right here is, is the Bible says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, but that does not mean that you cannot change the way you think. That does not mean... Because remember, what does the word repent mean? Change the way you think. And that's what Jesus came preaching. Repent, change the way you think, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you understand that 
when I grew up, it was sort of like they were just they were just using that scripture to bash you and and to, and to prove what a worm you were, and how so far below God you were. You don't even think the way God thinks. Well, duh. Thanks for that news flash. But that's not what the scripture. That's not what God was trying to say. You understand this? Romans twelve two says, this is the King James version says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You understand this, that the word is given to us to use uh, to renew our mind. Now that word, it says, be not conformed to this word. Now that word conformed, it has a connotation of something being molded by outside pressure. Imagine, if you will, a lump of clay. How does a potter make a, a clay vessel? He gets a clay vessel and he squeezes it in his hands and the pressure he's exerting from the outside forces that clay to take a shape. The potter's clay to take shape. Okay? And the word's saying, do not be conformed to this world. What do they call it when someone is surrounded by a group of, of, of friends or associates that's doing something that the person doesn't really want to but they feel peer pressure? And the word says, don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Don't let the pressure, don't let the fact that you work in an office where a bunch of people, they, they call themselves Christians and maybe they are really born again, but they get really loose with their mouth or they, they, they'll deal uh, uh, you know, in, in ways that are unscrupulous with people. Don't let the fact that you go to work with people who call themselves Christians, but all they want to do is argue about their little, their little doctrinal hobby horse to where, as where they can't even walk in love with people. Right? Don't let that pressure mold you into that when you were a kid in high, in high school you know middle school and high school and you know you were you grew up maybe in a home that says we don't do that kind of stuff we grew up in a home where we don't smoke reefer because mom and daddy says don't do no drugs but you maybe grew up with some so oh come on man your mom and daddy's so stupid they're just a bunch of squares they don't even know what they're talking about man here just go ahead and take a hit off this a couple of times you'll feel good guess what when you start feeling pressured i tell kids you start feeling pressure man you need to get away from those people Get away from them. Don't think, well, I'm going to stay and hang out around them and get them born again. No, you're not. They're going to drag you down into the sin that they're in. You might get them saved if you can get them into your environment. But don't go to bars thinking with your buddies thinking you're going to get them born again. Don't ride around in a carload of drunks thinking you ain't going to drink it, but you're going to witness to them while they're driving. You might get yourself killed and get your assignment cut short on the earth. Right? Do not be conformed do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the pressure of the world mold you into who you are going to be. It says, but be transformed. Now, that word transformed is a Greek word that's uh, metamorphosis, where we get the English word metamorphosis, which means to be changed from the inside out. So you see, it's the word saying, don't allow yourself to be conformed or molded by pressure that's being applied to you from the outside but you allow yourself to be changed by something that's on the inside, right? Who's in you? The greater one, man. The greater one. You don't have to be sucked into their junk. I just want to argue and nitpick over junk that they don't even know what to think they're even talking about. You just walk in love. You just walk in love. In one ear, out the other. It hits my back. It rolls off like water down a duck's back. Ain't going to get moved. Ain't going to get out of love. Ain't going to let you frustrate me because I know who I am in Christ and I'm growing in the Word and I ain't even going to get into your junk. 
I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to do what's to your good. And don't try to get in, in theological debates with me because I ain't getting up in your junk. Because I'm not going to be pressured by the outside pressure that you're putting on me to mold me into something. Because I'm being transformed by what's on the inside. Amen? But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing actually means, it means renovation. Now, I like that. I like that word renovation. Why? Because remember in James, the first chapter, what was it? Uh, verse 20, is it 21? James 21, uh, where uh, 27, where it says uh, you know, that, that, that you are to uh, uh, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Remember why I said I like that word engrafted because I went off on the whole part about how my dad used to graft apple trees. You would cut off what was undesirable and put in what was desirable, what was going to produce desirable fruit, and allow it to draw nourishment from the, from the trunk of the tree, right? Well, I like this word renovate too because what I get in mind is, is it's like uh, flip this house or extreme home makeover or something like that because they're renovating some houses now. And you understand that when you go in and you completely, you, you really, you understand this. You can go to, you can go to Home Depot. Oh, you thought I was going to say that. Thought, you can go to Home Depot and you can buy some paint and you can, you can paint the walls in your house and, um, and you can buy some new throw pillows and you can kid yourself and you can call that renovation if you want to or remodeling if you want to. But how many of you know real renovation, real, real modeling means, uh-huh, uh-huh, this wall right here, boom, we're taking that junk down. Yeah, see, the, see this whole wall of cabinet, this whole wall of cabinets, shelf, they coming out, right? Uh, yeah, if we're gonna we're gonna take out, uh, you know, we're gonna take out, uh, we're gonna take this whole back porch back here. Uh huh. We're gonna pour concrete slab. We're gonna take this whole thing and put it in. We're gonna make it. They call them Florida rooms down there. I'm like, what's a Florida room? It's just a it's a closed in back porch or a patio. I'm like, I'm like, yeehaw. Well, you know, I'm gonna make a West Virginia room out of this. What's that mean? I'm going to jack it up and put cinder blocks underneath it. <laughs> I'm going to jack my pad. Amen. I'm going to make a West Virginia room out of this right here, right? Okay? But you understand, when you're renovating something and you're remodeling, it means they're going to be dust in the air. They're going to be busted sheetrock. They're going to be timbers getting moved because this is coming out so that something better can, that's more desirable can come in. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renovation or remodeling of your mind. Amen? I want to uh, give this to you. This is out of the New Living Translation. This is Romans 12, 2 out of the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing His perfect will really is. I like this. Don't co- Man, the church of America needs to hear this message. One verse would straighten up a whole lot of people's theology and a whole lot of the stupid little things that people want to get off and chase after and say, can I do this? Can I do that? Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world. Can I do this? Because other people, people in the world are doing this in school. Don't copy the behavior or customs of the world. Something's wrong if you want to. Don't copy. But, you know, you know, can I get this or can I do that and not go to hell? Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world. Amen? Renew your mind. Amen? So you understand this. We are transformed. This is on your sheet. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Amen? Next one is you have to deliberately monitor what you allow yourself to think about. I'm going to give this to you real quick. Philippians 4.8. This is out of the New Living Translation. 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right. Think about things that are pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You have to deliberately set your mind on things. I think different translations say set your thoughts. This says fix your thoughts. I, I, said, I said that's what you do when, you're th- when your thinking's broke. You need to fix your thinking. If your thinking's broke, fix your thinking, right? Fix your thoughts on good things. This is the thing. If you're going to let something run over and over in your mind, why not make it the right thing? Why not make it something pleasant? This is a, you know, if you think, oh, my God, you know, this, this is going to happen, um, they're going to repossess my car. They're going to repossess my car. Oh, my God, what are they going to do? They're going to repossess my car. Why don't you think, man, my God's going to supply all my needs. God's going to supply all my needs. Yep, God's going to supply all my needs. If you're going to just let something roll over in your mind, why not let the right thing? And this is the thing. Don't fall into the trap of thinking if the car actually does get repossessed that the word didn't work because God might have somebody give you a better vehicle than what you had making payments on. Amen? I understand that, you know, praise God. So this is the thing. You have to deliberately monitor. Um, resist the temptation to ponder negative thoughts and focus on the edifying, encouraging ones. Spend time praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Real quickly here. I, w- I want to give you this. Um, this is the thing. Remove yourself from things that would cause you to think contrary to God's Word. I was sharing this with Kirk and Cindy. Most of you all that know me, I, I you know, my, my bachelor's degree is in government and international studies. I like government issues. I like hearing, how, you know, sometimes they say if you want to enjoy eating sausage, never watch it get made, right? Amen. Sort of like politics. Now, I said this, and I had this little revelation. I tweeted this, and Josh Clay made this one of his little favorite tweets. It made me feel good. I made one of his favorites of this. I said um, that uh, there's a difference between government and politics. Government is about influence and, and control, and politics is about the manipulation of government. Government's a good thing. You understand government is of God. Politics is of the devil. <laughs> Amen? Because politics is how people want to play stuff to control government. Right? You understand, so you understand that, that government is of God. Well, you understand, I, I, I just can't let myself listen to talk radio too much anymore. There's just so much stuff going on that if I allow myself to hear too much of it, it, it can become an obstacle to me. Right? So I have to remove uh, myself from things that would cause me to think contrary to God's Word. Be careful of the things that you entertain yourself with. What you watch, what you listen, what you read. Remember this. Remember this. What you feed gets bigger and stronger. Amen. What you feed gets bigger and stronger. You know, when I lost weight last year, I dropped down to about uh, 211 pounds was my low point that I got down to. Got down to about 211. Right now, I'm about 230. Okay. I put on some weight. Now, the pants, I'm still wearing 34s. Okay, they're a little bit snugger, snugger than what they were. But Pastor Brian been hitting the gym hard for five months, real hard for two and a half with Pastor Mike, and I've doubled my protein consumption. Well, guess what? My bench press, and my, all of my lifts are probably up 25 to 30% from what they were even three months ago. Why? Because I'm training hard and, I, and I'm feeding it. Well, guess what? I've got bigger, but I'm a whole lot stronger. A lot stronger. Amen? 
like what Pastor Mike says. Pastor Mike's so funny. You see people lifting weights, and he don't do it so much now because he's grown up some more. But I remember when we lifted in Tulsa, he'd see guys lifting in the gym. He'd go, man, that's that's a whole lot of weight. You know, you see these guys, man, he'd go, that's a lot of weight, man. He goes, you're pretty strong. And I go, oh, gee, thanks. And while they were thanking him for telling them how strong they were, he said, yeah, but I'm still stronger than you. And he'd walk off. And he was. Amen. <laughs> he was the strongest guy in the gym at Ramah. Amen. But you understand, what you feed gets stronger and bigger. If, you ha- if you're having a problem in any area of your life, um, this is the thing. Amen. Just look straight at nobody. If you're having a problem with getting your weight under control, it's probably not a good thing to watch eight or ten hours a week of the Food Network. Amen. I'm, just, I'm looking at the wall right there. I ain't looking at nobody, right? Right? Why? Because you're feeding yourself that. <laughs> amen, amen. But uh, you understand this? Amen. Um, understand this. Psalms 101.3. This is the New King James Version. It says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. This is the New Living Translation. It says, I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all crooked dealings. I will not have anything to do with them. In other words, here's, here's, this is a psalm of David saying, I'm going to actively monitor what I allow into myself. And here it is, Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay, that word expose, I underlined it and highlighted it in my notes because I never will uh, forget when I was in college and I was taking a uh, world history class, they talked about the Spartans and the Spartan culture and the Greek culture that when they, whenever they had a baby that was born, they would take that baby and they would examine it for flaws. Does it have any birth defect? Does it have any deformity? Does it have anything? You know, does it have anything that it makes it from being, you know, absolutely perfect? And if they did, there was a stretch of road outside their villages that they would just take the babies out and go, chuck, throw the babies over in a pile, throw them over in a ditch, throw them over a hill line someplace alive, screaming and kicking. And uh, yeah, it's brutal, ain't it? That's pretty brutal. You know, if we're more civilized in America, if we go inside the mama's womb where we can't hear the screams and chop them all to pieces and throw them away, right? And we want to think, and we want to think Spartans are brutal. And we do it not because there's anything wrong with them, just because it's they're an inconvenience. Amen. I, I make it pretty clear how we feel about that, don't we? Amen. But you understand? But I never will forget the word that when they, when they did that. What they called that was, they said they were. It was called exposing the children. See that even back then they didn't have the guts to say we're murdering babies. They had to put a, oh, another word on it that didn't sound quite so brutal. Here, if we don't murder children, we abort fetuses. There, they didn't murder babies. They exposed defective babies. But the idea was, you exposed them to the elements. You didn't feed them. You didn't give them shelter, and they died. Now that's brutal, but I do like the image that that paints for. Uh, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. When there's an unfruitful work of darkness that the devil wants to try to put in your life, man, you need to take that thing to a lonely stretch of road and <laughs> kick it over in the ditch and leave it laying there. Because this is a thing, This is and this is on your paper. The lifespan of a thought is determined by the amount of attention it receives. If the devil throws one of those little flaming darts at you, whew, that, that, that woman thought you was cute. You ought to... Do that? Uh-uh, devil, I ain't doing that. You shoot that thought down pretty quick. 
it doesn't get its lifespan was real short. Right, the lifespan of a thought is the uh, determined by the amount of attention that it receives. Amen. So it's got.